Tonight we'll be uh, lighting the second candle here. This is the Bethlehem candle. And this represents the faith of Joseph and Mary. And of course, the whole Advent season is about Christ, and being reminded Christ. <clears throat> so our text today, we're going to be in... Matthew twenty two We'll, of course, take a look at J.C. Ryle's Christmas Thoughts, uh, particularly the second chapter, which is titled, What Think Ye of Christmas? A Christmas Question. And so the question that we should have in our minds this evening is, what do you think of Christ? And it's a question that Christ asks, and we see in... Matthew chapter 42, uh, but before we really get started, I'll just do a brief word of prayer. We thank you, Lord, for gathering us this evening, and we thank you that you've poured out your grace on us, and we can come and we can worship you and give you praise, honor, and glory, and we seek to do that tonight. Lord, may you open our hearts to hear your word and to be reminded of Christ that our thoughts and affections may be raised by your Son. We thank you for sending him. Lord, may you bless this time tonight. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. So Matthew 22, we'll start in verse 41. The text is uh, verse 42, but we'll, for context, 41. Now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. He said to them, How is it then that David in the spirit calls him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. And so I think to get some more context of... Um, how we get to this point, how we arrive at Jesus asking this question, I think we have to look back um, to chapter 21. And again, this is just for, for context. So we have, we have an idea of, of why Jesus is asking this question. In chapter 21, we can see the, the triumphal entry. And this is Jesus coming into Jerusalem. We, we have the cloaks being spread. We have uh, the branches uh, being waved and and we have the crowds crying out in verse 9, Hosanna to the son of David. And then a little further on, we have Jesus cleansing the temple. And in verse 15, this is, here's where, where we get started. When the, fair, when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? Jesus said to them, yes. And he goes on, he quotes uh, Psalm 8. And so what I want to point out is, is um, the Pharisees, and, and um, they begin almost like an onslaught of questions and drilling him, um, which, again, we, when, we go to, when we get to verse 42 of the 22nd chapter, we see Jesus kind of turn the tables. Um, and so we go on. They challenge his authority in verse 23. 
Right, so they say after he cleanses the temple, <clears throat> by what authority are you doing these things, and who gave you this authority? Right, so we see the beginning of the questions coming. Jesus goes on, parables of the two sons, parables of the tenants, verse forty-five. While this is not a question, uh, we see the Pharisees and their anger rising at this point. They're they're bubbling. Right, verse forty-five. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them, and although they were seeking to arrest him. They feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. We continue on. They ask him another question, paying the taxes. They're trying to trick him up or trip him up. In verse 15, then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully, and you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then. What you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? Of course, we read a little further on. Jesus answers, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God, God's. Sadducees come the same day. We see in, in verse 23. The same day Sadducees came, and I won't read the, the whole uh, passage here, but essentially it's um, they're asking him about the resurrection. If a man is married to a woman, he dies, they don't have children, It's the duty of the brother to, therefore, uh, marry the wife. At the end of the resurrection, whose wife is is she going to belong to? And I love Jesus' response in verse 29. You're wrong, because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. And they were astonished. And so then we get on to verse 34, the great commandment. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? We know how Jesus responds. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. This is the great, the first, the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then here's where we get to Jesus now turning it back on them and asking them uh, the million-dollar question. The question we should all be focusing on is what do you think about the Christ? All of Scripture testifies of him, and that's the question that we should be focusing on. Pharisees and Sadducees are looking at paying taxes to Caesar. Uh, we're, we're looking at the what's the greatest commandment. Of course, these are questions with uh, evil motives, trying to trip him up. Um, but they're focusing on uh, other aspects, and Jesus gets to the heart of the issue. What do you think about Christ? And again, that's a, a question that we should um, have at the forefront of our minds this evening, uh, this Christmas season, um, and ultimately we, we should be thinking of this question often, whether it be Advent season or not. I think it's a great question. It has uh, eternal significance, um, and it's one that we should uh, ponder often. So we'll look into the faith of of Mary. And, and Joseph, and we'll start with Joseph first, in Matthew 1, and you don't have to turn there, I'll read it to us, read it for us. So Matthew 1, verse 18, now the birth of Jesus took place in this way, <clears throat> when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit, and her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. 
But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. What do we think Joseph thought of of Christ? Well, we can see his faith. He obeys. He takes Mary as his wife, um, which as, as a... As a human looking at, as a man, this is a very um, faithful man. I don't know that I would have been in the same position as Joseph. Um, but we can see his faith. He knows who Christ is. It's been revealed to him by the angel. He continues um, with that relationship, and uh, glory be to God uh, for his obedience in that. We see another example of Joseph's faith in, in Matthew two thirteen, <clears throat> where he flees. To Egypt, now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And again, we see another example of of Joseph's faith. Um, Further on in verse 19, another dream that he has, the angel of the Lord But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. So we see Joseph's faith. We see uh, what he thinks of of Christ. He's obviously convinced this is the Christ. He's obedient to the word. He's obedient to the angel, the angel's words. Um, And so that is, that's Joseph. I think what, what I thought was interesting, too, is, and I never looked at it this way, and I don't know if there's much that goes into it, but... Um, just the connection between Joseph and, and dreams in the Old Testament and Joseph and dreams in the New Testament. Um, again, not, not much to grasp from that, but I thought that was interesting as I was reading it. And then we move to Mary. <clears throat> and of course, we, we're very familiar with the story of, of Mary. Um, and I know we read it this morning. I don't, I don't think there's a need to read it uh, again. It's a bit of a, a longer passage, but uh, what I'll say on it is that Mary, similar to Joseph, I mean, this this is this takes faith uh, for her uh, to take this step, and it being revealed to her, and she obviously, again, is, is convinced that this is, is the Christ. Uh, when the angel speaks and uh, tells her that uh, her son will reign, Is it here? The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary, of course, she questions it, um, but not in, in a, a way where she's doubtful, <clears throat> but more so just how is, how is this going to happen? Uh, so she has her, she has faith, she knows who Christ, um, she has her, her thoughts of, of Christ, and again, that's the question for tonight is, what do we, what do you think about Christ? Right. And as we turn to Ryle's Christmas thoughts, uh, there are a couple of points in here that he makes that I found helpful, uh, which I'll share. Three, or he, he has three points, two of them we'll cover, 
one of them is why all men ought to think of Christ. And the second, uh, the thoughts of, of Christians about Christ. The thoughts of true Christians about Christ. <clears throat> and one of the sub-points is why all men should think, ought to think of Christ is because of the office he fills uh, between God and man. When we speak in care of the, of the mediator, uh, we immediately think of 1 Timothy 2, uh, chapter 5, for there's one God and there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And so um, we ought to think of, of Christ because of the office he fills between us. He, he intercedes for us. Uh, without Christ, no man can be saved. Um, and so that alone, we should be thinking of Christ. Um, being separated uh, from, from the Lord in the garden, Adam walked with, with the Lord because of his sin. We've been separated. We can't come to God on our own, but only through Christ. <clears throat> and so we ought to think of Christ because of the office that he fills as mediator and intercedes uh, for us. We ought to think of Christ because of what Christ has done for all men. He's came for, he came for us while we were yet sinners, we were enemies of Christ. He came for us. He condescended. And we talked about that this morning. This is the second person of the Trinity, the Holy Trinity, the Holy God coming down to save a people um, that he loves, a people that's undeserving of his love. And for the believer, that should give us peace and comfort. And what does it mean for the unbeliever? Oftentimes they're Confused, they don't understand the the weight of their sin. Rescue from what? Um, you know, we can say you rescued from your sin. They don't understand um, the magnitude of of our sin <clears throat> and how it separates us from Christ. And we ought to think of Christ because of what Christ will yet do to all men. And his first advent wasn't to condemn the sinner, but to save the sinner. But his second coming is going to be utterly different. And we'll read what Ryle says here on page 36. He shall come again one day to this earth with power and glory and raise the dead from their graves. All shall come forth at his bidding. Those who would not move when they heard the church going bell shall obey the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. He shall set up his judgment seat and summon all mankind to stand before it. To him every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord. Not one shall be able to escape that solemn assize. Not one but shall receive at the mouth of Christ an eternal sentence. This is an eternal sentence. Again, a significant uh, question uh, that, we're, that we're given here by Christ. What do you think about the Christ? Each one of us will have an eternal sentence. And the second, the second point is the thoughts of true Christians about Christ. True Christians, we have high thoughts of Christ. We see him totally separated from ourselves as God. It's not you know, we're here and God's here. He's in a totally different category, a totally different class. <laughs> but yet he understands the pain we feel. He's hungered. He's, he's thirsty. And so we can come to him. We see him as a supreme being above all else. He's our powerful warrior. He's, 
the one who has redeemed us and, and conquered death. And so we have high thoughts of Christ. We have trustful thoughts of Christ. And Ryle says here, they daily cling to him by faith as a child in a crowd clings to its mother's hand. They look to him daily for mercy, grace, comfort, help, and strength as Israel looked to the pillar of cloud and fire in the wilderness for guidance. Christ is the rock under their feet and the staff in their hands, their ark in their city of refuge, their sun in their shield, their bread in their medicine, their health in their light, their fountain in their shelter, their portion in their home, their door in their ladder, their root and their head, their advocate and their physician, their captain and their elder brother, their life, their hope, and their all. Happy are they who have such thoughts. And to that I say amen. Christ should be our all. You know, we were studying the 1689 and um, particularly the chapter on the perseverance of the saints. And I, I love this illustration. And it kind of ties into J.C. Rowell, the, the trustful thoughts of Christ. And Calvin Walden put it on that, in that chapter. He said, the hands of Christ are under his sheep and the hands of the Father are over his sheep. And none can, can pluck us out from his hand. And so we can trust Christ. In that, he will not lose one. True Christians have loving and reverent thoughts about Christ. Christians love everything about him. We love his word. We love coming to his church. We love his people. And of course, there are seasons um, of trials and seasons uh, where we're imperfect. We're human beings and... Um, there may be times where we struggle with prayer, or struggle with reading the Word, um, but the Spirit will always draw us back. And we have loving and reverent thoughts of Christ. And lastly, we have hopeful thoughts. Right? He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. And so we have hopeful thoughts of Christ. We long to be in the celestial city with Christ. We love to be with the angels. We'd love to be uh, singing, holy, holy, holy is he. And so if Christ is not raised, what hope do we have? Right? We're to be most pitied if he's not been raised. But he has. And thank the Lord he has. And so we can be hopeful. Now there's a... An excerpt from Leonard Ravenhill that I read. Um, Leonard Ravenhill don't agree with everything um, he says or stands for. If I think he actually is not, not reformed. He may be more a part of the Arminian camp. Um, but this, this biography is by Mac Tomlinson. It's called In Light of Eternity. Um, Mac Tomlinson is reformed. Um, but this, this resonated with me, and I thought, um, you know, this, this just raised my affections for Christ during this Advent season. Um, and I'll, I'll read it here. It says, It seems to me that the offense of the Incarnation is that it defies analysis and therefore is thrown out by the wisdom of this present age. The Word became flesh, but there is no known answer to this in the scientist's laboratory. What science cannot explain is not counted genuine and is even scorned. But bless the Lord, the invisible, 
became visible. The Ancient of Days had his beginning of human days. And in a manger as well, but not the manger of the Christmas cards. Logically, if the inn was crowded, then the stable was crowded too. So it would have been full of dung and offensive odor. And it was there that the Lord of glory came for us and for our salvation. Here is mystery, majesty, and eternity. Wise men came and worshipped him. Wise men still do. For no one is wise who rejects Christ. The shepherds came to bow to the great shepherd and bishop of our souls. I've thought much of, I've thought much this Christmas season about the Lord being born of Mary. He could have come down as Elijah went up in a chariot of fire. The Jews would have received him then. But God took Mary, her body, her emotions, her substance, and all she had, and through her, he gave us his son. He came, blessed be his name, the manger, what a danger it would bring. There he laid wrapped in our clay. The ancient of days has become an infant in time. The baby's hand that could not feed itself will one day hand a blessing out that will feed 5,000. That baby velvet cheek will soon have dirty spit from the throats of wicked men running down it. Those baby eyes will soon be a flame of fire. That mouth without words will soon say to a thousand billion sleepers under the sod and beneath the ocean, Arise. Kings will hunt this baby to kill him. Not one of them will call him to eat at their table. But one day, every king that ever lived will bow the knee to him. His lullaby, the rude stable, is bare and heated with the sweat of tired beasts. What love, the condescension, all for us. Wise men came and worshipped him then. Wise men still do. And again, this raises my affections for Christ. Um, because when I when I read those words, I'm I'm the one who should have that deserved the spit on my face. I'm the one who deserved to be beaten. Right? We deserved death. Christ took that for us and paid for our sins and has made us right in the eyes of the Father. And that's a glorious thing. And we praise him and we worship him for that. And it's a sweet time in the Advent season as we reflect on that, and as, the, um, as we look forward to his second coming. We're hopeful. I know the holidays can be a, a, a difficult time for some. There's pain, there's loss, there's suffering. I just call you to reflect on Christ. Come unto him and he will give you rest. You know, some may may not be in that situation. For, for others, it may be a merry season. Uh, still, our thoughts uh, should be ever-changing. And what I mean by that is they should be ever-growing as we mature as Christians. Our affections should continue to be raised. Uh, we should be growing closer to Christ. Anyone who's married knows um, your thoughts of your significant other change over time. You grow more affections for that individual. We should also be growing uh, closer to Christ. And our affections uh, should be growing for him. So uh, that concludes the devotion tonight. Um, I'll close this out in a word of prayer. Um, But I thank you all for for listening and uh, pray that we all continue uh, to think of Christ and that he be at the forefront of our minds.
So let me pray.